0: And we are live from the Empire of Lies, a bastion of free speech, anti-censorship, and great discussion and news in an international edition of The Backstory. I say international, but you won't want to miss this in American. Our guest, in the first hour, we have Mark Sloboda coming at us live straight out of Moscow. This is going to be a great hour. If you want to find out what's going on with the war in Ukraine, and there's a lot going on, and you want to get a straight dope, this is the show to listen to today. Tell your friends, your neighbors. Then in the second hour, the great Ian Schilling coming at us from London, telling us what's up over there. And taking your calls, 202-521-1320. But don't call... If you're going to call, call, call next hour. we got a short segment, then we got Mark for the rest of the hour today on the backstory. And a producer, Rod from Philly. Hey, Rod, how you doing?
1: Hey,
0: Rod. Exactly. I'm doing well, but so. <laughs> Good. So, yeah, you put together a great show today, and I'm really looking forward to this. I I learn stuff every time I talk to Mark. And there, you've been, how much do you follow the war, Rod? And that's a silly question, but...
1: Uh, I follow as much as I can, you know, it's, you got to cut through the uh, propaganda. and You know, I like to cover the spectrum, so I do like to look at, you know, like France 24 and Deutsche Welle and what they say, you know, because obviously here it's just gobbledygook. You know, uh, i got a, a five-month-old and she speaks clearly, more clearly than what, what they say is happening over there.
0: But have you noticed that gobbledygook's changing? Have you noticed Deutsche Welle is telling the truth more because they have no choice, and the British media, have you noticed that, and you're looking at the coverage?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's reluctant, but they are talking more uh, truthfully or more, uh, yeah, more truthfully about what's happening. Because, I mean, like you said, they're forced to, they're in a corner, and, you know, people, anybody with a half-decent brain would be like, okay, but everything you said is not going the way you said it, so what's going on?
0: And if you know what you're looking for, and you do, Rod, Everyone, I'm telling everyone, if you know what you're looking for, the spin is so obvious. Have you noticed this one, Rod? They don't say anything that's good news for Russia without saying Russians claim. They use that phrase. Russians claim people have surrendered in Mariupol or whatever. But if they say stuff that the Ukrainians are claiming, they just say it like it's a gospel truth you notice
1: that one yeah the Ukrainians are uh they're holier than thou so anything they say uh, it's truthful but yeah like you said what they say the Russians claim they're not you know they're not saying that as much anymore
2: no but because
0: there's certain things they're being even Ukraine is admitting losses it's not going well and I'll talk to Mark about that and I'm also going to find out because in Moscow what the average Russian knows about the war I'm curious about that we talk to Mark all the time Mark's a very smart guy obviously and he's in Moscow but I wonder what the average Russian knows Do you know what I'm saying and
2: I have a feeling the average Russian has a pretty realistic estimate
1: do you think so um, I would say the average Russian obviously knows more because of the proximity, but I think they're also, you know, they have their own, uh, distractions. Uh, we saw Zelensky, uh, I believe it was over the weekend. He, um, came, he attacked a, a famous MMA fighter, you know, uh, Conor McGregor, because he took a picture with Putin. Like that's where his priorities are, you know, uh, telling Conor McGregor, like, why are you taking a picture with Putin? Like, should you have more important things than that, you know what I'm saying? And we'll discuss with Mark, two
0: what is a realistic assessment of a war? Because I think some parts of it are unknown. Like, one of the big questions is, do the Russians want to negotiate? A lot of people, a lot of other countries are talking about negotiations now. And some people like Henry Kissinger are urging it. And Ukraine makes... Noises as though they're open to negotiation. But if you listen to those noises, they're obviously not. They have completely unrealistic expectations. And I think Russia's real position is there's no sign that Ukraine is serious about negotiating. That's the only thing I think. And it's not that they're close to it. But the, there's not a reasonable offer on the table. Does that make sense, Ron?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. you know, we, we have the EU out there. I I read uh, yesterday that, that you know they, they don't want they don't want to uh, don't want Ukraine to accept any peace offer. That Russia they they don't have any good faith that if they you know if Ukraine accepted a peace deal that they would uh, they would honor it.
0: And they shouldn't have any good faith. And also, they shouldn't have any faith that America wants anybody to negotiate. Obviously, America is still making aggressive moves, sending those weapons over there and bragging about them. They're sending new missile launching systems that aren't going to make any difference in the war. And I'm not saying that as someone who's biased. I'm saying it realistically. They're not going to make any difference. And did you heard about the Russians taking out a train
1: tunnel in the
0: mountains with a cruise missile today?
1: Uh, no, actually, I didn't, I didn't hear that one. So you're telling me some news there. But I, that, that's not uh, unexpected, though. because they, like, I, like we've been saying since the very beginning, they're very tactical about this. They're not reckless.
2: Well,
0: I'll talk to Mark about it, and he'll bring us the details. But I saw this morning the Russians— Went after a tunnel that's responsible for the weapons from NATO command.
2: 60% of cargo traffic from Eastern Europe into Russia goes through that tunnel. And that
0: tunnel was hit by cruise missile, according to Ukraine. That's a major move. And that's going to, I think, I think Mark will say this that it should have an impact, and it shows that Russia is not playing. Russia is not going to let weapons come
2: into Ukraine just without a fight. They're, a a boat like this, they're going to fight them over there instead of fighting them in Ukraine.
0: They're going to fight the weapons before they get into the country. And I think, the Russians have such dominance in so many areas
2: such as air power right there's no there's no comparison between the Russian air power and Ukrainian air power
0: that they will take out the weapons before they come into Ukraine and the way this war is going is very clear very clear to everyone but the people in Arlington as the Pentagon and Zelensky.
2: And I don't even know how much Zelensky believes. So do we have Mark on? Okay. So tell me when we get Mark on, because I'm looking forward to having a long discussion with Mark about what's going on on the ground. What you say? Thank you. That's me talking to Command Central. Anyone who thinks I'm talking to myself, no.
0: There's an actual person there in Command Central in Washington, D.C., and I was communicating with them. But events on the ground are moving very quickly, and it's obvious
2: it is over for Ukraine. And, Rod, have you ever seen a. I'm, you know, you've
0: watched. Well, you you watch MMA, so have you ever seen a fight when it's obviously over, but the person is still fighting, is still going on fighting, and it's almost painful to watch, because you want to stand them lay down,
1: right? Does that ever happen? Right. Yeah, MMA is a little different than boxing. Boxing, they throw in the towel a lot. It's actually uh, kind of rare than, than uh, mixed martial arts. The corner throws in the towel. So uh, you do see a lot of guys get outclassed and beat up, and kind of want to see the corner stop it. But if the corner of uh, Ukraine was the EU and NATO, they're they're like, no, 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 you're winning, you're winning. You know, just because your eyes closed doesn't mean you know you can, you can still throw punches. Like no, um, they're uh, trying to get, you know get all these Ukrainians dead. Like I said, to the last Ukrainian, they want they want to see the last Ukrainian fighting. So
0: right. And also, by the way, we'll be talking next hour
1: about. Did you see this California reparations report? yes i did lee and uh, that's it's amazing you know the reparations you get you get trees <laughs> you, get, you need more shade you know for reparations you're gonna get more shade not money or anything uh anything tangible but you're going to get more shade with trees planted in your neighborhood
0: yes I, that's what i thought i thought it was simultaneously an overreach and wimpy and i'll talk about that next hour but Sabot is online so we'll Take a short break, and we'll come back straight out of Moscow. Mark Sobota on The Backstory. on The Backstory and on 105.5 FM AM 1390 in the Empire of Lies, Washington, D.C. Joining us now, straight out of Moscow, Russia, geopolitical analyst,
3: Mark Zavoda. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Lee, thanks for having me. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be on The Backstory. It's always
0: great to have you on, Mark, and I'm going to buddy up at first. You are clearly a smart guy, Aww. and I'm wondering – no, you are. You, you, you're not only smart, but you're straightforward, and you you don't pull your punches. You're an honest guy, and I appreciate that about you, Mark. But relative to other Russians, compare yourself to the average Russian, the people you see when you go to the store. How smart are you compared to the average Russian? Or do you think the average Russian, they see around the streets of Moscow, has a pretty good idea
3: of what's going on in a war? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I don't know about comparing myself to the average Russian. That's not uh, a real good comparison because I was born in the states and lived there most of my life until the last, you know, ten, fifteen years. So, uh, but my impression. I- are you saying that makes you smarter or dumber? By the I'm way? saying that gives me a host of different ex- world, a uh, life and world experience. <laughs> yes. Um, and you're a diplomat, sir. Yeah. Okay, keep going. So, um, my understanding is that there is an impression in the U.S. and the West in general, but in the U.S., that the Russian people are all brainwashed. Zombies and they don't really know what's happening in ukraine that's that's the assumption. If they only knew what Putin is doing, what the dictator Putin is doing, and um, I, I think it's actually the the reverse. Um, uh, Russians, first of all, are more skeptical of their media then Americans are skeptical of their media. And, and to be fair, Americans are actually pretty skeptical of their media, you know, at least according to uh, you know, the polls. Um, but um, Russians have had a long relationship with Ukraine, and they have been paying attention, generally speaking. Uh, You know, to Ukraine, to the politics there for, you know, for decades, I mean, forever, you know, since independence is on. They're familiar with the people, the names, because they are directly relevant to next door. Right. Um, Also, there's there's some four to five million Ukrainians living in Russia. Right. In the aggressor state, living, working uh, a couple million of them at least are are refugees uh, from the conflict over the last eight years. So they talk to actual Ukrainians, some 11 million Russians. Uh, You know, particularly in West Russia, have family right across the border in East Ukraine. There's there's, uh, a lot of uh, cross-border families. So Russians are intimately connected to what's going on in Ukraine in a whole host of ways that Westerners, even a lot of people in Western media, simply are not. And, you know, I'm not saying that the average Russian knows everything, but my conversations with just people in my neighborhood out dog walking show that Russians are in general are much more knowledgeable, uh, much more involved and following what's going on in Ukraine, much more than the average Westerner and certainly much more than the average American.
0: And how much do you think that's due to – when you watch Russian media, the media, Then mm-hmm. you know, whatever you watch, whether it's a news broadcast going by, but anything, how much – how
3: honest is the media, do you think? Um, you know, I, I have to admit that I don't watch a lot of TV. I, I don't. I didn't watch a lot of TV in the U.S. and I don't watch a lot of TV here. That's not where I get my my news from. But m- my impression is that just like in the United States, there is a lot of garbage political talk shows and talking heads. And um, uh, you know, Russian TV, for instance, has actual pro-regime. Uh, At least up until the intervention began, had, uh, you know, pro-Kiev regime uh, people on the media, on the talking shows, you know, mostly to yell at, right? And almost, uh, you know, Jerry Springer-esque or um, Crossfire-type hot seat. Uh, But, you know, it was regular to give them views in a way that pro-Russian government Russians are never on Western media right? You, you never hear it. All you hear is these pet Russian liberals who, who, um, uh, you know, most of them live in self-exile in the West because they don't like their own country. They don't like their own people. They certainly don't like their own government and, and so on. And, and their word is taken as, um, you know, uh, the, the objective truth, which it very rarely is. Uh, but, I think that, say, the primetime news shows that I have paid the most attention to are more honest about what is going on in Ukraine and has been going on there for the last eight years than uh, their equivalents in the U.S. or Europe.
0: Now, I don't want to claim to be a Russian media expert, but I sometimes watch what is on what Russians watch. And it seems to me, is this a characterization, there's a fair number of shows of people sitting in chairs yelling at
3: each other. Yeah, like I said, political that's talk a, shows. That right? Be,
0: <laughs> right, that seems to be a popular format. Vigorous debate, we could say, right? Yes. That's a, a format. A, a lot of Russian political shows are people vigorously debating.
3: Yeah, I mean uh, I I would say that there is more debate and more passionate debate than on the standard Western talk show where if it's anything other than – like if it's a Democrat-Republican thing, yeah, then there's lots of yelling and everything like that. But if it's a bunch of like say foreign policy professionals, the amount that they disagree with each other on on talk shows in the US is like – fractions of a margin of a percentage of we all agree on the same thing because of the bipartisan consensus on in in the u.s i mean let's face it in the foreign policy between a, you know a republican and democrats is is like the foreign policy difference between coke and pepsi right there really isn't any it doesn't change uh, you know only right. marginally depending on 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 who is in office and trump actually you know as marginal as it was in many ways it was still this great break with us orthodox foreign policy in pursuit of global hegemony such that he dared say doubt nato Right. You know, that was that was a heresy which he could never be forgiven from. But he wasn't allowed to do anything about it other than than yell. And uh, he actually served the purpose of, of getting uh, other NATO countries to to spend more of what the agreements say they should be spending uh, of their GDP, two percent on on, uh, you know, uh, on uh, their military machines. Uh, but he he other than that kind of scaring uh, tactic. He, he didn't substantially change anything.
0: Now, a lot of Americans use their news from social media, obviously. So, I'm going to give you an example of something. that is a big story in Russia according to Twitter. Twitter declared this a big story, and they gave a lot of, you know, they featured tweets about it. And I don't know if it's on the radar at all for people in Russia. It involves a Russian lesbian artists who apparently went into a store and put up anti-russian pro-ukrainian propaganda on the shelves and she could be fined now that's the example what twitter finds it do you know what i'm talking about at all i
3: have a slice clue what you're talking about i mean i pay pretty close attention on twitter so um, i I guess i missed it (laughs) sorry, it's not on, it's not on Russian social media. It's not on Russian news. Maybe like, this is like the, the type of minuscule, we found one person in Russia that disagrees, right? (laughs) And, and focus and highlight. And and, I mean, I have no doubt that it's probably true, but I mean, I mean, like, like if you have one person in the U.S. who is protesting in a store against the U.S. occupation of East Syria, I mean, is it a, is it a news thing in the U.S. that, i don't think so. i mean I, I wouldn't think so and i'm very much against the u.s military occupation of east syria or you know uh you know the you know the, all of the uh uh boycott and divestment campaign with israel you know the, you know one person who's against israel my god and is that a story not really I...
0: no 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 and i'm not surprised by that and that's why i said it the way i did but twitter You'd think this is the biggest news in Russia. But Twitter is and bunch, is
3: largely. I mean, it, there's a very small, small Russian audience in Twitter, and most of those are Russians who are living or acculturated to to the West, right? I mean, if you were to go on on for contact you or something or uh, Telegram, you would see a, a, a quite different debate. It is a Western echo chamber, right? I mean, it is. Largely, Westerners talking to Westerners about things Westerners agree with, with a few dissenting voices that are nonetheless persecuted for being dissented and suspended and having their accounts blocked, and Twitter deciding what is truth or not, and so on. But uh, that's it's Twitter. I mean, that's that's what it is.
0: <laughs> now, now let's talk about some of the military events going on recently. I talked before. About earlier, about the cruise missile attack on a railroad tunnel. Yes. In the mountains. You know about that, yes. Mark?
3: Yes. Yes. Uh, there. Okay. Uh, yeah. So um there is. How a- do you pronounce the name of that town? Yeah. I, I don't have it off the top of my head myself. I'm not incredibly familiar with the Lavoff area, but. Um, The uh, tunnel was, uh, you know, uh, through the mountains and it provided connection with Slovakia, I believe. Um, And that was being used as a major um, uh, transit site for uh, Western arms uh, into uh, Ukraine for the Kiev regime. Um, So uh, it was hit. I don't I, I don't I haven't seen an assessment of the damage uh i'm a little bit skeptical that you know even say five cruise missile strikes would take out something like a seriously built tunnel uh you know a a railway tunnel but um certainly it could disrupt it um and and there may be follow-on attacks if it wasn't destroyed in the first one
0: yes and because a lot of the weapons that the U.S. has been talking about sending Ukraine would be coming through someplace like that. I I viewed it, and I don't know what the damage is either, but it doesn't need to be destroyed. That tunnel doesn't need to be gone for them to make it very difficult for weapons to get through. The, uh, and these weapons the, need to come in it's the, by train. It's the Beskidi
3: Tunnel.
2: Right. Okay. That Yes. And uh,
0: I think that shows Russia's not playing around. As much as America's talking about they're going to send these wonder weapons over, they're going to change things. I think it shows that Russia is going to take these out at the
3: source. This is right? Sure. I, I, I think there is a political statement towards uh you know hitting this particular tunnel at this particular time right after uh joe biden uh, apparently reversed course he contradicted himself several times in like two days and the u.s decided to send these uh uh high mars uh this uh high uh mobility artillery rocket system a multiple launch rocket system uh of of that the u.s uses uh to uh to the kiev regime um myself i it's let's be frank it's no game changer it's it's mostly symbolic value um it, but you know the ukraine and russia both have their own multiple launch rocket systems they're using the same models right uh, soviet built and um they're pretty effective weapons they they, they the uh high mars has a as a longer range uh, but it has other uh, negative qualities like like reload time and 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 so forth but um the the regime has already in this combat lost 460 of them, right? And these things are – they take a large number of crews and other vehicles uh, to, to operate effectively, to provide a constant rotation of rockets, which they use up pretty quickly uh, to lay them out. And they, they have to keep moving, right? Because once they fired, then they can be targeted. Right, so they need to be these large mobile teams. Russia has general air dominance over Ukraine and has pretty much total air superiority over the front line where these things would be used. And they're incredibly vulnerable because they're pretty, you know, like I said, there's a for a, a a normal battery of say nine. Uh, uh, uh multiple launch rocket systems you you need a crew of like 50 trucks and other vehicles right that are servicing them um it's 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 something that is is not hideable um not not by drone not you know not, not by you know uh, close air support they, they would be targeted and wiped out pretty quickly and if Russia has already wiped out some 460 Roughly equivalent of of the same type of weapon. Um, do you think that a few dozen more from the United States? That let's let's face it, these these weapons, like like any American weapons that are supplied to Ukraine, they will not have a maintenance, logistic, and supply chain. Right? They uh, Ukrainians will not the Kiev regime people will not be able to repair them, like on the fly. Um, they will have a, a limited Supply of ammunition, right? Because obviously the ammunition, the uh, um, rockets that Russia, that Ukraine has for their own uh, Kiev regime uh, equipment, uh, is not compatible, and they will have a very small cadre of people who are actually trained to use them, right? These aren't something that you can just drop someone into, and because they used a uh, uh, a Soviet uh, equivalent. Type of armament can just figure out and use. Uh, So, I mean, my understanding is that that the U.S. has already been training uh, regime forces, a number of them in Germany on this, but this will be a small number of people. And, you know, you you lose two batteries of these things and you're losing, I don't know, a hundred people who have been trained on this. And how many can they really have? It's it's not. It's not a game. Well, the
0: numbers I've heard the numbers i've heard are actually the u.s is sending four in
3: yeah yeah four systems that's that's ones that are already in germany yeah. they were already there um i suspect there will be more it's not specified in the release how many but that's immediately what they're sending in and that's nothing that's a that's a that's a, a one <laughs> a one uh you know uh airstrike <laughs> uh uh away from no but but and
0: fairmark because germany and the uk are also sending in four each so that's a total of 12 systems going in yeah. This is
3: symbolic value. Are you carrying fear? Yeah. yeah, are you yeah, yeah. This is. I mean, yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm already planning to flee to to Vladivostok. Um, this is. This is symbolic value. It is meant for morale. It is meant because the Kiev regime was complaining that they don't have any equipment. I mean, the the stories that are starting finally to break through the Western press that they, they they're no longer able to deny how bad the situation is. For the Kiev regime forces on the front. There was an excellent piece, actually, of all places, in the Washington Post last week. um, uh, uh, Volunteer fighters in East Ukraine feel abandoned, and they talked to a deserting commander uh, who talked about what conditions are like at the front. They're surviving on a potato a day. They have no weapons capable of fighting back effectively left. All of their heavy vehicles are gone. Um, His unit, which he seems to indicate is fairly typical, has suffered over 50% attrition. These are not combat effective forces. They're not, they're not even really capable of defending, you know, the holes that they've dug in. And, and this is a pretty significant area. There's, these fortifications that have been built up in this salient, the K regime built up over eight years. I mean, and there are several meters of concrete thick at places, you know, specifically designed. But um, they've been hit brutally, by heavy artillery, air, cruise missile strikes for over a month now. And it's been pretty much nonstop. And uh, the the Kyrgyz regime forces have have suffered a lot of casualties. And I think that there are very few – they're certainly not capable of any type of counterattack or offensive. And I I think they're barely capable of of defense at this point. And we've seen – okay, I've seen – because it's, it's posted on, on social media by Ukrainians that I pay attention to, but it's not shown in the Western media. But there are something like two dozen videos of Kiev regime uh, units, brigades, uh, you know, other levels that are taping themselves saying we won't fight anymore. We can't fight anymore. We have no supplies left. We have no reinforcement. We're just cannon fodder. Um, and again and again, you have, uh, you know, some some of them are saying that we won't fight anymore. Some of them are saying we can't. And you're not providing any support for us. There's nothing we can do. If you did, we would. You know, you you you're getting a gamut. Are, are of, these
0: are these videos that I'm, I'll try uh-huh. to describe it. They look like
3: a, a, a bunch of people in the military yeah. standing they're posing for a picture. It, it, yeah, it's pretty and then obvious. One of them has dozens of people standing together and one of them reading a statement. Yes, there's not really much faking right. this kind of thing. It is, is fairly obvious that these people are identifiable. You know, you can do all sorts of open source to track them and their family members are, you know, uh, making contact. It, it, this is a real thing.
2: Yeah,
0: and and like you say, there seems to be a lot of those videos. Yes. And I've got to imagine those videos are bad for morale. Yes. Because other people are seeing them and go, we're not the only one. Yes. And the Russians in Donbass seem to be chalking up victory after victory. Taking more and more territory. They,
3: they have it, had Is a, that your impression? They have had – I think there's been an acceleration. I think you're starting to see the deterioration of the Kiev regime forces really starting to tell its toll. But I, I, a lot of it is not because like, – they were softening up. They were shaping the battlefield. They were shaping their cauldrons and they were degrading these fortifications and, and the troops occupying them for over a month. And when they were ready, on their own timetable – not because the Western media said they're stacked, stagnating and they're making very little progress or anything. When they were ready to, they went in from three sides at once uh, in most of these low cases. Uh, they always seem to provide this golden bridge. Uh, referring to uh, Sun Tzu's, uh, you know, classic Art of War, that you know the best way to defeat an enemy is to create one avenue of escape for him, so he doesn't fight to the death. This is, again and again, you see that uh, in the past, say ten days, ten, twelve days, and there have been yes, a, a, a string of. Um, uh, either defeats or surrenders or retreats uh, by Kiev regime forces that, that seem no longer capable uh, or willing to defend the areas they've been assigned.
0: And aside from the destruction they've laid on the Ukrainian troops, the other thing I've seen in Mariupol, for instance, I've seen construction coming out, They're rebuilding city, Sure. Have you seen any of that, Mark?
3: Yes. I mean, I, I've seen it. I mean, one of the first things they did was go about trying. I mean, let's face it. Uh, I don't like to see what I've seen. I mean, I've got family uh, in in East Ukraine, um, and uh, they're having to largely to a, to a significant degree, right? You know, it depends on the the individual settlement. You know, Mariupol, I've seen damage estimates. Some 50 to 60 percent of the buildings were damaged or destroyed in the city um, because the Kiev regime forces occupied the buildings. And um, that unfortunately, the the reality is there's very little other way to defend the city. Of course, they were often doing it with people stuck in the basement, which is then a war crime if you don't remove the civilian. population or or move to uh, to elsewhere but um if they're defending from the you know residential buildings then you have to take out residential buildings right or or you just give up and go home well obviously that's not going to be the situation particularly say in, in Mariupol with the uh, Azov neo-nazi death squad having their national headquarters there um a lot of damage Uh, A lot of damage. Um, And the first thing, the Russians, you know, provided humanitarian aid and then tried to get water and electricity restored to as much of the city as possible, as fast as possible. They set up humanitarian centers in the uh, surrounding uh, towns of the Donbass. They moved people there whose uh, homes had been destroyed. Uh, And, you know, they're trying to get the, you know, the population involved uh in uh the beginnings of reconstruction work uh so they're trying to provide employment uh as well you know something useful and uh something that you know that will at least help them you know support their families and so on for those that have uh, stayed or have already come back but you know it's it's not pretty it's not going to be um you know a a something that's going to be done overnight but i mean if you take a look at say have you ever been to grozny chechnya no no okay well in the early you know uh, the late 90s early uh, you know 2000s uh, grozny was uh, completely destroyed essentially um th- today Sh- grozny is a shining gorgeous beautiful city with some of the most beautiful mosques in the world uh you know no no, no doubt about that whatsoever it is a beautiful city uh so um you know uh it is a winning hearts and minds strategy after the fact, but, um, it has been very successful there. Uh, and you know, there was a lot more animosity from, from the Chechen people, uh, from at least part of the Chechen people, uh, that of course there was a civil war in Chechnya as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, Chechens against Chechens and then, That was actually the majority of the conflict. But um, uh, in Mariupol, for instance, Mariupol in 2014 had gone with Donetsk and Lugansk. They voted overwhelmingly in a referendum for uh, um, uh, independence uh, that was vaguely termed, but some degree of autonomy from Kiev because they didn't agree with the overthrow of the government that they had overwhelmingly elected a few years earlier. Uh, So – there is well, – while certainly not universal, there's definitely a majority of the population there that while they probably didn't want to get caught up in a war, um, uh, do not uh, you know, see uh, the Russian or the rest of the Donbass forces that are allied with the Russians there as, as, as the enemy.
2: Well,
0: and I pointed out that if the, the Russian forces – and the DPR, for instance, wish those people ill in Mariupol. There's nothing at all stopping them from lining up citizens against the wall and shooting them or destroying buildings. There's nothing stopping Russian forces now from doing what they want. And what they're doing is construction. What they're doing is humanitarian aid for people, right? There's nothing stopping Russians from wholesale destruction if that's what they're after,
3: right, Mark? But, I mean, that's ridiculous. One of the primary reasons for going in is to save these people from the regime that was, you know, bombing the Donbass for the last eight years. Uh, that's, you know, it's this Orwellian inversion of reality to try to present this as some type of, uh, you know, I, I, I've seen the word genocide even tossed around. There, there has been something. If not the the quality of genocide, you know, the meeting the strict requirements, then certainly some type of ethno-political cleansing uh, in the Donbas, but it was by the Kiev regime against uh, the people of the Donbass for the last eight years.
0: Now I would say th- th- this is I was talking about this before you came on. I would say a lot of people are talking about they're paying lip service to negotiation. I would say Russia doesn't have the possibility of a serious proposal for negotiation right now.
3: I, no, one is, so no one is serious about negotiations, in, and I don't think they ever have been neither side.
0: Right, and, and, and I'd say that comes from the Ukrainian side. If Russia had an inkling that Ukrainians, the, the Kyiv regime, or the U.S. and the U.K. had any actual interest in negotiating – I think they would be open to it, but they have they've so
3: clearly been not interested in negotiating. Yeah. I mean well they've made that, that perfectly clear. If you treat them, Boris Johnson, you know, US officials have said that they would not accept a Ukrainian surrender. They said that right out. I mean, they're not allowed to surrender. <laughs> Zelensky's not allowed to, right? Not with not with in continuation with, with Western support. They want them to fight and to throw as many of their mass conscripted population as possible you know to fight russia to to, to the last ukrainian uh, and and they they will do that i mean it was made perfectly honest the u.s uh, secretary of war i mean uh, defense lloyd austin you know said outright our goal is to weaken russia that's what they're there for um, and it's a proxy war, and it's pretty open about that. And that's what they're doing. and uh, they they figure that that Ukraine is good for, you know, a, a a bit more bleeding of Russia.
0: and unfortunately, for them, there's no sign I can see not just militarily is Russia winning, but economically. It's not – they have not devastated Russia. In fact, I, I'd say Russian economy in some ways is better than it was before the military action started.
3: Um, and that, in some that, ways it that's may be complicated. Just- uh, certainly the oil revenues to the government are better. The ruble is performing better, right? Um, that's not to say that there hasn't been any economic damage. Uh, but I think actually the blowback to the West, particularly Europe, is at this point considerably worse than it is for the average Russian. Yes.
0: Well, and then in Kherson, that region, the region uh, to the north and west of Crimea. Yeah, Kherson. Mm-hmm. They, the. Kherson, re- yeah. Thanks for correcting me, Mark, because I, I, I suck at the pronunciation. But the uh, I pronounce it like an American, yeah, it's okay, and you do better. But but uh, I'm seeing that Ukraine is still attacking civilians, they're still launching cluster bombs and whatnot at civilians, sure. I mean, am I correct in saying that? They're
3: they're, 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 they've been quite clear that anyone who Talks to, accepts humanitarian aid from, you know, uh, what it uh, cooperates with, you know, Russian and Donbas forces, is a collaborator, and the punishment is summary execution. I mean, they they no longer regard them as as their people as soon as they start collaborating, they are the enemy. That is the position of the regime. We've had the the governor Vitali Kim of the Nikolaev region admit on TV that. The, the regime has put together a special operation force whose job is to summarily execute all collaborators, all traitors, anyone, right? I mean, and he used as an example a a popular blogger in Kherson as, as an example of someone that the squad just went out and killed. Uh, so um, they have no compunction. They've had no compunction about – bombing the people of Donbass for the last eight years, right? They've had no compunction of firing ballistic missiles into the city center square of Donetsk, uh, and, and other strikes since the conflict began. And, uh, they will continue strikes in every area, uh, you know, that Russian, uh, forces secure, uh, because, and, and, You know, not even again at military forces against the people because the people then are now the enemy. That's that's the way they see things. And they know that a large portion of the Ukrainian population does not support the regime, particularly in East Ukraine. And that was that type of mentality towards the people there that actually that they are the occupiers was on full display with Azov and Mariupol.
0: And it's obvious uh, from the videos i St. Patrick Lancaster does videos over there. Yes, wonderful. That the people in that area just want to get back to their lives. I saw a guy out next to the road selling strawberries and cucumbers on the side of the road. And they just want to get back to normal life. Sure. Uh,
3: right? Produce from Harrison is already on sale. You know, strawberries, cucumbers, which are a big thing, you know, one of it- uh, in Russia during the summer, uh, they're already on sale in Crimea. My my mother in law told us that. So, um, and she says they're
0: because yeah, I've heard the strawberries are delicious. Did you notice? In fact, we talked about this a couple of days ago with John Mark Dugan. When you first went over Russia,
3: now now how long have you been there, Mark? I guess a total. I mean, it was. Uh, uh, about five years. And then I went to five years, uh, to London, uh, to do my postgraduate work there. And we were there for five years and then we came back and we've been back for a 12 since then. So I guess a total of about 17 years already. Jesus.
0: So, so I don't know if the difference was as great, and this is a slightly weird question, but the other day, Mark John Dugan, uh, John Mark Dugan was saying, that when he went to Russia, the food tasted different. Sure. He said the fruit, for instance, is more flavorful than America.
3: Did you notice that, Mark? Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, uh, the the produce is fresher. They use less chemicals on it. Uh, I mean, you can get stuff with, like, You know preservatives and stuff but the amount of food that you can get that has no preservatives no chemicals no you know um the the steroids that they pump full of the meat and everything the taste is is noticeable which is not to say that everything tastes great there are some russian foods that I won't touch with a 10-foot pole, and I'll be perfectly honest with that. Halloumiets first among them, but um, in general, yes, I, I, I think there is a, a the produce I have noted in particular is much more natural and flavorful here. Uh, how's the sour cream? Uh, is it Spentana, different? Yeah, it's different. For one thing, it's not very sour. It's it's only very mildly so. Um, but it's always—I mean, well, it's not always fresh. I should say you can get uh, non-fresh stuff, but you know the fresh, which is readily available, is is wonderful. It's it's evil. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I, I saw a recipe from a a Russian cook the other day for sour cream cake. I must admit, I'm very curious. Yeah, about it, it, it,
3: it, yeah it's a bad translation, Uh, uh, uh So um, it is is it's not sour. For first of all, it's not like that at all. It's it's a very rich, creamy, uh, yes, um, cake. It's good. It, it, I I've yeah. had far too much of it myself.
0: And, and and you've had honey cake too. Yes. Is honey cake of popular?
3: Course,
0: yes. My girlfriend's gonna try making honey cake soon. So we found a good recipe for it. But anyway, enough food talk. Now Mark, this would have to be a conjecture on your part. But do you have any idea how you think this is gonna end?
3: Um, yeah, sure. I mean, first of all, don't expect it to be over tomorrow. Don't expect it to be over months from now. I'm I'm expecting years. Um, this ends with the, at, at, uh, quite obviously it ends with the partition of Ukraine, right? It was always going to be at least the Donbass, now Herson, uh, Zaporozhye is already, you know, clearly on the writing and wall. And whether this is the partition or the balkanization of large parts of Ukraine, perhaps all of East Ukraine, you know, up to the Niper, you know. Odessa, Kharkov, Dnipropetrovsk, these other cities uh, on the uh, the uh, east bank of the Dnieper. Uh, I, I think that's very likely. Um, I, I think that it, the likelihood that Ukraine, uh, you know, meaning the Kiev regime, in, in whatever form it ends uh, in, will be left with a rump state. Uh, of west ukraine and 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 perhaps kiev uh up to kiev I, I i do not think that the state it was always clear that once the west backed Maidan putsch you know uh broke the political balance between East and West in the country and geopolitically between, you know, balancing between Russia and, and the EU and NATO. Once that was broken, I mean, it's like Humpty Dumpty falling off a wall. You, you, it, it was never going to be the best chance to put it together again was the Minsk protocols. And those were ignored and, and you know, used to wipe uh, some people in Kiev's butts. And, you know, they, they never had any intention of fulfilling them. Uh, they 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 seek to impose their conception of Ukrainian national identity on the entire country, whether the people in East Ukraine want that conception or not, which they don't largely. Um, so
0: now what do you what do you make of the fact that the former head of Ukraine and this sounds like we could veer into a food discussion, but it's not the chocolate oligarch Poroshenko. He was trying to leave the country recently. Yes. And he was turned away at the border and he kept trying. What do you make? What's Poroshenko up to? Well, what do you yeah, think?
3: Yeah, well, Zelensky has um, charged the leaders of the two biggest opposition parties in the country. Uh, one, you know, Poroshenko's pro Maidan, but just a different party backed by a different oligarch. And uh, Viktor Medvedchuk. Uh, who led the Platform for Life, which was the reconstituted party of region and the communists, the political representation of East Ukraine? He had them both arrested and charged with treason on on absolutely nonsense, politicized charges. Um, with with Poroshenko, even though Zelensky has ended up doing the exact same thing on steroids that Poroshenko uh, you know did when he was in office, there is. Uh, this different oligarch loyalty, and a lot of it is simply petty personal differences. Uh, and a, a whole host that should be said of leaders of other smaller parties as well. They're all political activity, all, politi- all, all critical political parties in the country are banned. All critical media in the country is banned. There is one unified information policy. It is a true dictatorship there now. Um, it, it was well on its way, of course, before the intervention. But uh, you know, this just accelerated that. And Poroshenko, as as far as uh, you know, Zelensky, uh, Poroshenko is a traitor to Zelensky's regime. Um, and uh, it, it's been rather amusing to see this done to Poroshenko because, of course, he charged the president that he overthrew before him, Yanukovych, with treason. Uh, so you know, there's a, a bit of a a, a, a karmic um uh, payback there. Uh but you know the uh, the fact that you know the West doesn't say anything about this when Zelensky's doing it even to a you know pro Maidan Putsch you know previous president is 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 rather amusing. But it just shows the pedal venal and nasty nature of the regime behind all the you know the the propagandistic heroizing of, of Zelensky as if he's some type of liberal democratic paragon figure.
0: Now, Mark, in the last minute or two we have, is there anything you think that people should know that's important, any topic at all that you want to bring up Yeah, that people need to know? I, I,
3: I mean, I, I think it's one of the most important things. There was an excellent article in The Guardian today that Russia is – winning the economic war, an economic war that the West launched on on Russia. And all that price you're paying at the pump, the British not being able to heat their homes this weekend, the inflation well over 10%, you have to understand that Russia is not suffering that to anywhere near the extent that you are. And your your governments are sacrificing you, right?, your, the the damage the blowback from these sanctions against a a global commodity heavy country that produces huge amounts of the of the world's oil and gas and sunflower oil um and uh you know a a whole host of other commodities is driving prices up everywhere in the world africa's large starvation political instability but the costs you're Enduring is from your government's own sanctions on Russia that are having more effect on your lives than they're having on Russians. Is it worth it?
0: Well, I think clearly not, but I don't think Biden cares. I think the only people that cares about less than the Ukrainian people
3: are the American people. Well, he- there's no sense of doing yeah, go ahead, His Mark. approval rating certainly shows that some Americans seem to be starting to wake up to that fact.
0: Yes, because it's done with such disdain for people. But, Mark, fantastic appearance, great conversation. Thanks for talking about Honeycake. Appreciate it. Thanks for having and, me. Later. And good insight into what's on in Russia. Have a good night, Mark. Cheers. Say hi to the crows. When we come back... Of the, the second hour of the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines, the backstory. The second hour of the show that's coming to you live from the empire of lies and we are exceptional at that we're good at the lies i'm lee stranahan investigative journalist and this is a backstory i always like talking to mark sobota i like mark personally and he does know a lot and see see rod i i, I personally like caring about the strawberries and honey cake. Do you find that irritating when to do that?
4: <laughs>
1: yeah, I was going to ask you to send me a piece of honey cake uh, once you guys make it, but it will probably be stale and nasty. Uh, no, pro- it probably wouldn't mail well, though. But I always
0: like talking about that real-life, regular stuff because the fact is, you know... When you get beyond all this foolishness and the politics of it it's just about people do want to incurs on for instance they want to get back to living their lives the guy who's selling strawberries wants to get back to selling strawberries to people and it's funny that mark mentioned his mother-in-law had mentioned strawberries are in crimea now that was funny wasn't it, rod
1: yeah, I want I want to I want to try these uh, strawberries now. I gotta plan a trip to Russia one day and uh, try all this fruit and stuff like that and see you know compare and contrast.
0: We should have strawberry week on the back story, and our boss should he should send us over Crimea while it's still beach weather, while it's still warm. But coming up, Ian Schilling from London at the bottom of the hour, and. Taking your calls, now call in, 202-521-1320. And Rod and I will talk about the joke of a reparations report next on The Backstory. So Rod, you you were hinting at this, but this is a panel that put together to do a report on reparations. And they made a bunch of practical suggestions such as free college tuition. And that just sounds bad on saying you're gonna get free college tuition if you're black is so openly racist. Do you know what I'm saying, Rod?
1: Well it's just the first step. It's just the first step Lee, because then you know for the uh for the illegals here, it's gonna be, you know, free college for them too. So it's just the first step. That's just how they started off with they gotta start with the uh They always use black people as their uh, political plaything to get their agenda across.
0: And the other big thing they talked about was a lot of stuff about prisoners. They want to make it so prisoners can vote. Now, whose benefit do you think that's for? Do you think the prisoners really care? Do you think there's anybody in prison who's mad they can't vote? The only people who care about that are the politicians, the Democrat politicians who expect to get those votes. But no one in this, no one upstate, can, can, seriously, can you, can you imagine you're eating crappy food and being alienly raped and you're worried about getting voting? What? Can you imagine it's is a big concern for anybody?
1: Well, you know, the the liberals consider uh, most prisoners political prisoners, so, you know, they want to give them the uh, ability to vote so they can get their, like I said, their agenda across, you know, they don't, they don't believe in prisons, they want to abolish prisons and all this other stuff. We, uh, we see, you know, Tulsa, I guess it's already out getting out of the news cycle already because they don't want to address this, uh, you know, it was a black man who shot up uh, a hospital, but, you know, just a couple months ago, I believe it was probably like six, seven, eight months ago, the same thing happened in Philadelphia, Ex coworker came uh, rented a U-Haul truck and came in with a, a rifle and shot up his coworkers in uh, Jefferson Hospital, uh, where I did my EMT training at. So you know they, when, whenever the it's not uh, favorable to them, they you know they they push it out the news cycle. But you know just like the Day shooting, you know since since the shooter's not white, they can't blame white supremacy. They just blame the, they blame quote unquote gun violence.
0: Now he would have. The person who shot up in Tulsa, if only he had free college, that might have been stopped. But the thing I noticed about it, you noticed what, and you, you hinted at this, so I noticed you noticed it. What they didn't say for is reparations. They did this whole hundreds of page report, and they talked about free college and voting for prisoners, but they didn't talk about, they didn't make a reparation. They made a suggestion that states may want to look at reparations, but they actually, when it came down to it, didn't advocate for reparations, you know, which most people, when they talk about reparations, they mean getting a check. So I found it a very wimpy report. It's purely political. Rod, what did you think about that? And then we'll get to Tarif online.
1: I thought it was a spit in the face, Lee, or a dirty diaper in the face to say that, uh, you know, black people need more trees. They need a shade reparation. You know, they've been in the sun too long. That's why they're so, you know, that's why it's so dark and just need more trees and everything will be all better. You know, it's just it's just utopian thinking that makes me sick. Uh, It's in Philadelphia. It's in all most major cities. And it never lets up.
0: Yes. And 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 like you say, it, it really avoided the issue which is reparations it avoided that issue entirely also the the college they talked about it's for descendants of slaves but the you notice it's not free college for descendants of slaves
1: right so you saying they're playing a the word game there
0: yeah all, all they're saying is for
2: it, if you're black it's not descendants of slaves so, if you came from the Caribbean, like Kamala, and weren't your family was never subjected to slavery, it's purely racial.
0: So, but 1320 Tarif, what is on your mind?
4: Oh, uh, thank you for taking my call. I have a, um, about a few comments to say. First I like to say free jewel and signs and uh, and also for everybody else please look go watch truth- St- truth stream media on YouTube, the minds of men dealing with m k ultra the beginnings of m k ultra when they start experimenting on people's minds looking for the perfect candidate um okay my, my first time is this the first stages of the tribunal is being held this month it's go- it's gonna be called a miraroo the, Maru- the tribunal. In Ukraine. They're going to be um, indicting Nazis and foreign mercenaries as well. Um, Mediv, Dimitri Medov told al Jazeera TV that um, when the weapons arrive from the United States to here, which is basically Ukraine is only getting full from the United States, but hopefully it's not the long range missiles. I heard it's only going to be 40 to 45. To but anyway, if they are used, Along with the other weapons that Ukraine getting from like NATO, or, or in Russian territory, then they will say they will strike the centers, the, the, the decision centers in Ukraine. Which means it is rumored that these centers have NATO and American and British generals and CIA, MI6 people in there as well. So yeah, that's dangerous. So, but luckily, I'm glad they're only getting only four of those complex systems. And also, they shouldn't be getting you know. excuse me, they shouldn't be getting none of them. My last comment is dealing with Russia has limited export of key gases for the production of semiconductors. And uh, it's neon, algon, helium, and other gases. Russia supplied 30% of this to the world trade. And also, I forgot to say, the United States and NATO, I mean, the European countries is so desperate. They're trying to work with Russia to try to get their grain and along with Turkey to try to get their grain out the ports in Odessa so it can go into the uh, market because you got, you know, you got autumn coming so you might have a food shortage of wine if that grain don't get out of uh, those ports in Odessa. Thank y'all for taking my call.
0: Yeah, and of course, it's a good point. The, the problem there, of course, is that the Ukrainians mined the ports and there's some Wild mines running around still that no one controls, they're just flowing out in the ocean, and that's what's slowing the food down. They're trying to get the food out for export, and that's a fact. And no, I, I don't see them disputed it, they just don't bring it up. 202 521
2: 1320,
5: Brave in Atlanta, you're on. Hey, what's going on, right? what's going on Lee I um I got to give you a little bit of credit actually for catching the uh, ADOS portion of it or the, the, the lack of ADOS attention in the so-called um uh c- conversation on on uh on reparations so um first I I am 100% for reparations but I don't think we'll ever see it in this country even though they they've they've, uh, they've given it reparations for um Native for Native Americans if you can reparations for uh Jews who Jews if you reparations for uh, illegal immigrants, right? Um and not to say that they should not receive those things. I'm just saying that throughout these years, uh throughout these decades, they they have refused to take a, have a serious conversation or a serious debate about reparations or take any serious actions. Um I, I, don't,
0: I don't Well, not no, in a bravery, let me just say. I've said for years since I covered the paper story reparations is a carrot on a stick that they hold in front of black people but they keep it just out of reach they want to look like they're talking about reparations but they and what bothered me about it because I'm not in favor of reparations but I'm in favor of let's have a serious discussion about it and if if, if I lost that argument after a serious debate about it. I can see the argument for operations. I understand the argument for operations. And I think it becomes problematic the longer it goes on. And there's certain things I think should be handled. But I think it becomes harder when you get further away. You're dealing with people who never dealt with slavery at all. And, but let's have the discussion. Stop using it as a political weapon. And what they do is they keep black folks thinking, well, reparations, says might be this time. Maybe we'll have a discussion. Am I right, Brave? But it, 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 calling a carrot on a stick?
5: I, you know what? I can't even give them that amount of credit because, like, for instance, the whole abortion thing, right? Um, I, I would say they use that as a carrot on the stick as far as Democrats go. Um to keep to keep people voting uh for democrats they don't even give it that they don't even give it that they don't give the carrot that much stick when it comes to reparations there are very few um democratic uh politicians who, who would even they agree to reparations in, in any real sense of where there are a few in the progressive caucus, a very, a very few that that um even are willing to openly entertain entertain the fact. I would urge anyone, I, I myself, um, while I agree with a lot of pan Africanist views and I had a lot of great pan Africanist mentors in my day, I um I I view myself as ADOS and there is a there's a definite definite difference. I don't think that. And I don't think that um, the argument, as some take it, um, is correct that ADOS is against immigrants or against um, non-American descendants of slavery. It's not about that. But there, there has to be some speci- spe- specificity. <laughs> it has to be specific. I, don't, I, won't, I won't go too high for the, for the bar and try to, not try to pronounce to in the word. Um, there has to be uh, a specific conversation about uh, reparations and how it affects and how it would affect the American descendants of slavery, because without that, it's, it's, it's pointless. Because what you're talking about now is a conversation about, like, for instance, the free, the free college thing. Well, a lot of um, black immigrants coming from overseas are highly educated, highly educated, highly college, right? But um, that is not the case for uh, many Americans, many American descendants of slavery. And to be fair. What, what is what is the college degree going to do with, without um, looking into the rest of it, of all the things that were caused, all the things that that happened in our communities over over time, that like the the, the um, destroying of our father figures, the imprisoning of our father figures, the destroying of our communities? No, that, that needs serious conversation. It's not just about saying, hey, we're going to let everybody go to cause for free. I don't mind it, but that's not, that's not the same thing. Hopefully, Malik will call it. He has some really good views on it.
4: Yeah,
0: th- thanks a so lot, Brave. Great call as usual. Two oh two five two one thirteen twenty. We have a first time caller. William, welcome to the backstory. What's on your mind?
6: Hey, how's it going? What's on my mind is uh with the American people and the Russians and Ukrainians, Uh it's not our problem with between those two. Uh we need to stay to ourselves. um and not worry about anything else, and we need to fix our problems in between ourselves. We need- well,
0: I, I I think a lot of people take that view, and that's that's a common view among um you know for instance that's essentially Tucker Carlson's argument. I go further because I'm pro Russia on in this conflict. And let me say, if we're going to get involved in, in a conflict like this, it should not be on the side of Nazis. So I go a little bit further. I say. If you wanna say we shouldn't be involved in things that are international, that's an argument that can be made. But it seems like we're always on the wrong side. If we're gonna get involved in things, we shouldn't be in favor of ISIS as we were in Syria, supporting ISIS and Al Qaeda. And if we're gonna be involved in Ukraine, it shouldn't be supporting the Nazis and shouldn't be supporting the people who are killing civilians and have been killing them for eight years. And so what do you think of that, the additional argument that if you're going to get involved in something you shouldn't be involved in, don't support the bad
6: guys? All right, well, what I think about it is I I agree with you on that statement. I totally agree, 100%. On the other hand, we do not need to stick our nose into any – other businesses that is not ours, we need to focus on ours. We have a bunch of problems in our country that we need to deal with, not any other foreign countries like Canada, Mexico, Iran, Russia, Ukraine, all them, China, all them. We just need to focus on ourselves. And then after we get that problem situated, we then we can focus on. Other their problems but
0: but also we pay li- our foreign policy is we pay lip service we we call it the empire of lies because the united states lies they say that we're here to help democracy and the people when we get involved we got involved in 2014 the u.s government helped overthrow a democratically elected government in ukraine
2: that's how we get involved and then when we create the problem, then we get more involved. But
0: I I don't agree we should be helping to overthrow a elected government. And that's what happened in 2014. What do you think about our lip service so we pay democracy when actually overthrowing governments? William?
6: Well, I don't support Biden in any way, what he's doing at all. Period. I don't support the Democrats, period, of what they're doing at all because they're making the situation worse. Uh, What I'm focusing on is America and the American people of what is going on in our country. That we have a lot of problems. We have break ins, we have suicidal, we have drugs, we have gangbangers. We have all that type of bull crap. We need to fix on that before we fix on any other foreign country problems. We do not need to be the police state to foreign countries, period.
0: No, no, I agree, but I, I, I disagree in the sense that we're not fixing any problems. We're not going into another country, we're not fixing anything in Ukraine, we're causing problems. So even if we solve all our problems tonight, we
6: shouldn't that's, get in. That's the issue. That is the issue I'm talking about. When we stick our nose into any other foreign country, we, as America people, American people, cause the problem when we stick the no, our nose into the problem.
0: Okay. So, Rod, I, I noticed this also thing. There was five dead at the hospital in Tulsa, and you're right, it did not make as much news, for instance, the Johnny Depp verge was bigger news, right?
1: Yeah, and people were waiting outside his hotel, and it just you know, I I looked on Daily Mail today, just you know, because I checked the news uh, around the globe, and yeah, it just it's just it's just nonsensely, uh, you know. Uh, we 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 can't focus on like you're like Carla Williams had problems here in America, and like we should be, you know. Uh, we had a congressman now, a congressman from New York talking about. Uh, You know, enough is enough. They they always repeat these lines. Enough is enough. We got to take, you know, we got to ban guns and and da da da. But you know, in New York, uh, I I I believe you saw probably on Twitter there was a random stabbing of a 16 year old girl. It's on camera. Uh, I'm pretty sure that person's uh has a criminal record. I'm pretty sure he's been paroled, he's been bailed, and all this other stuff. You know, I can almost uh, bet bet money on it, and they don't want to address that at all. Uh, in Philadelphia, none of the city councilmen want to even say anything about Larry Krasner, you know, the guy who said, "Oh, you know, you know what'll fix crime? Bike mechanics. We need a, we need more bike mechanics for young people. That'll, that'll fix crime." I mean, a total idiot. And none of the city councilmen, mayor, you know, uh, the 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 Pennsylvania Republicans said they were going to impeach him. That was all fluff. They were, you know, they're just saying stuff. You know, so like William said, we need to fix our problems here and stop worrying about stuff uh, in other countries that you know we we always make worse. I mean, that's uh, a guarantee. Wherever we go, we're going to make something worse. Well,
2: wait, who's who's online? Okay. And I'll get to Al Killer in one second.
0: But another big problem, did you see that Nancy Pelosi's drunk husband got in a car wreck in Napa a couple of days ago?
7: Yeah, and
1: then I also saw on uh, Gateway Pundit that uh, this isn't, you know, he has a record of this and that he killed his, uh, I guess he was 19 and his brother was 16 and he was drunk driving and killed his brother. So, you know, you know, Nancy Pelosi's father, Delessandro, the former mayor of Baltimore, mob connection. So, you know, I guess it's a family of of drunk slayers. You know, I guess you could say that.
0: Well, I'll tell you the other thing that I noticed in the story about Nancy Pelosi. I had said last week, Zelensky made admittedly $100 million. And I said, that's when a president's making $100 million,
2: that's inherently there's corruption going on. There's some shenanigans going on. Remember I said that, Rod? Yeah, yeah.
1: About, I believe it's ten. It's is it's is it 100 million now. I, th- I thought it was 10 million.
2: Okay, 10 million.
0: That's true too. Let me tell you where I got 100 million. Nancy Pelosi made 100 million last year. It was up from 41 million. The fact that a member of Congress has had their income go up, and they're now making 100 million dollars a year. She should be thrown in jail just on general principle. No American politician, and like you say, she didn't even wait to leave office. When she's making more money in office, do you agree that that's a major problem,
1: Rod? 100% Lee. Uh, you know, what does Nancy Pelosi, what does she say? What does she do that would ever equivalent to her making $100 million? She doesn't even make complete senses anymore and uh so i mean it's just it just disgusts me and you know most of our callers 100 million dollars for nancy pelosi a woman of uh who comes from a family of corruption a lineage of corruption
0: it's it's outrageous and people should be if this is a fair and just world people would be in the streets asking 100 million dollars why is a congresswoman making that money and the answer is because she's a congresswoman from google google's her biggest donor and google's got a lot of money but she represents all the silicon valley companies for destroying life and free speech 202-521-1320 owl killer what is on your mind
8: well, I forget who said it, but I care not about the millionaire who becomes a politician, but I care about the politician who becomes a millionaire. I don't know. I, I've seen that quote for probably 20 years, but I, I, I don't know where it came from. But it's it's the truth. And you know, Brave was talking um, the other day about the uh, the oh, the openness about the World Economic Forum, where they're saying they don't need us anymore. And when you talk when you talk about how Somebody like Pelosi is made a hundred million dollars a year. The fact that Zelensky made ten million dollars a year, what product does he produce? And then that—that's what I'm getting at. The system, it's beyond repair. Where, I, where I really fear what happens when? Because eventually the riots are going—they're going to come to the people. That eventually somebody's going to get blamed for what's going on, especially if the cost of living. I say I think when. Um, food hits fifty percent usually. That's when you see revolts, and that's what it was like in Lebanon, I believe. Egypt, same thing. Um, the people are the, the money, the the inflation, the, the the debt. Somebody is getting this money, and we know who it is. And that's like I, people just need to come to that realization that these people have they have forced us into a system where. They can create an endless supply of money for themselves. They buy up tangible resources. They buy up land. They buy up farmland. They buy, they create businesses. They have hedge funds. They're buying up everything that's valuable. And they're leaving. They basically want us in this. You're going to own nothing and you're going to be happy. And like, I I don't know how hard it is for people. I mean, uh, Tucker had somebody on from Canada the other day on, I'm surprised Fox allowed him to talk that was, Openly saying that his entire, the entire Canadian government is part of the World Economic Forum and subscribes to their ideology. When are people going to realize that? That they're making, they're telling us, and you, know, you notice there's no like, oh, don't worry about it, stuff is going to get better. They're, break, they're basically telling us between the Federal Reserve and the current administration that stuff is not going to get better, but we're going to blame Putin for it. Like they're they're they they do not have a game plan. They're 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 out of bullets to shoot at
0: this. I will kill a great call. Gotta to go to a break soon. Let me ask you though. Are you excited that we're having David Icon show in about three weeks? You know something outside of
8: the reptilians? What's the guy wrong about?
0: No, I I'm a big and I I don't even know his view on the Rep- reptilians is. I've seen some stuff that indicates me maybe they're I, I I have That's a feeling
8: argue with that, the guy about
0: right. It's like Alex Jones. Alex is so right about so many things that if he's wrong about a couple things, I choose not to focus on that. Yeah. And he,
8: because he had Jimmy, he called Jimmy the fell out on Alex Jones about 20 years ago before this was public. And Alex told him, Hey, watch out. We don't want to get sued. He's like, man, I know this from working at the, working at the BBC, he knew, he knew about Jimmy Savelle before it was public. He's right about almost everything. And it's, it's crazy that the way they've put these guys into a box where, um, you know, you hold them to a couple of things they may have gotten wrong. They're, they're right about a lot more than they're wrong about. And what they're right about is scary.
0: And, and what I've noticed is the reason I say, I don't know what David like thinks about that. I know they lie about what he believes. They'll say he's anti-Semite. I've listened to him. He's not. He's clearly not, not an anti-Semite. He's an anti-Zionist. But he said the opposite. And Zionism, as we know from Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, is not Judaism. And they'll put words in his mouth. Then they'll say, look at what he said. And they lie about him all the time. So I, I don't know what he thinks about certain issues i know they like to attack him but i'm psyched i thought you would be too that david ike will be on the show in about three weeks let's take a break we'll talk about the world economic forum with our next guest ian schilling live from london let's take a break here on the backstory Of the backstory 105.5 FM AM 1390 in Washington, DC, capital of the Empire of Lies. Joining us now from London, also, I would say, I think Ian, is it fair to say London is its own Empire of Lies? Is that fair to say?
7: Oh, definitely. Definitely.
0: Ian Schilling, geopolitical analyst, with us on the backstory. Hi, Anne. Hi, Lee. So do you think that the World Economic Forum, more people are paying attention to that than ever? I noticed more people paying attention to it this year than in years past. Have you noticed that in England?
7: Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's more video clips of it of what they were saying. Yeah, definitely.
0: And that can't be good for them because... You know, it's like for instance, the Great Reset, that's not a made up thing. That's a book by Klaus Schwab. Yeah. The Great Reset, it sounds like a paranoid conspiracy theory. Then you go, no, he wrote a book about it, right? Now, are you concerned that non elected groups like the World Economic Forum seem to play more of a place in people's lives than ever?
7: Ian. Of course, of course. I mean, because they're working for, for large corporations and big money, aren't they? They make no, they make no secret of it. That's who they work for, the billionaires and, and mega international corporations. So, I mean, and their objective of, of transferring control to supranational bodies is, is just terrible. I mean, because it, it would be even less control of governments by the people. I mean, the way the way you get control of government is it being local, right? So you can lobby your uh, your own local politician and get something changed. I mean, I mean, governments in the past, when, when America started off, their, their governments was the, the town hall that they used to have every Sunday after church, didn't they? And they used to have a meeting actually <laughs> every Sunday and they discussed the issues of the day and what if anything needed to be changed or done. And that's how how things worked. And you had control over, you know, whoever the leaders were. Because if they didn't like them, they'd chuck them out and get somebody else in, wouldn't they? So you you can't control. Once things get large and really large, you know, 50 million people and 200 million people and whatever, you've got no control over the politicians that are in charge, right? And the way the system is set up, you kick one set of, politicians out, and, and you supposedly elect another lot, and they just do the same things. So you don't get any change.
0: Now, you seem to have it worse in England than we have it in America. For instance, I'm not saying it would, it would change things, but at least here, people don't like Biden, they think that someone like Trump or DeSantis would be better. In England, the situation as I see it is... If you don't like Boris Johnson, and increasingly people don't, who's the alternative? Keir Starmer from Labour is not liked the way Trump or Desantis is, and there's no one who's who could take over for Johnson who's a Tory.
7: People like Liz Truss, no, the she, foreign minister. But there isn't anybody that's not a globalist there isn't there isn't anybody that's got a, a, any remote chance of being at being the leader being the prime minister who isn't who isn't supporting the wef and the and the globalists i mean boris johnson's all your- in on the pandemic treaty he's giving money to the who it, but the COVID hand handling was absolute disaster and, Tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives unnecessarily because they just weren't working for big pharma profits, not to try and save any lives.
0: And even Nigel Farage, as I understand it, is completely pro-Ukraine in the R- Ukraine-Russia conflict. Oh, I don't know. I have. Even Nigel,
7: well, he's not a factor, it seems, right? Well, he's got no chance of being, becoming prime minister, so yeah.
0: And and just, there's no one, you see what I'm saying, at least we have a couple of people who you can imagine as President DeSantis or Trump, and might, I'm not saying they'd be great, but you can imagine someone different.
7: Well, they're not, they're not going to kowtow to the WHO and, they, and the WEF, are they? I mean, Biden's, Biden's just had a major slap in the face from all the Africans rejecting the pandemic treaty, haven't huh? they? <laughs> Brazil rejected it as well. And so the, the 12 of the 13 amendments to, to transfer sovereignty to the WHO has been rejected. So they're now they now, now going to ha- set up a discussion to see what they can do by 2024. So that was good news.
0: Do people in England have a sense? Are are people discussing? Do you see it on the media at all? By the way, I would say your media is about as bad. That's why I said it's its own version of Empire of lies. Do people have a sense that there's no way out? That there's no, that there's no politician who speaks for the people, and the head of the Labour Party certainly doesn't speak for people who labour, right?
7: Yeah. Oh, so, so, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, this, this situation has been going on for ages that there's no way out, and there's no, there's no no way to change things. But I mean. More people got woken up by all the COVID lies and what they were doing. A load more people got brainwashed by COVID, right? Who were previously suspicious of the government and then they all went, fell in line and sinker for all the COVID lies and the vaccine lies. So I don't know. I mean, there are uh, there's, uh, there's definitely more activity on social media about the WEF. I mean, there's nothing in the mainstream media criticizing the WEF. They all, all all applauding it in the mainstream media in the UK. I, I think it's wonderful because they're all globalists, the BBC, and what, so they they think it's all wonderful. But but there's a lot of criticism on social media posts
0: when they talk about the economic problems that are happening in Europe and. UK and the US, they're trying to blame those economic problems on Putin and the war. But I actually think a lot of the economic problems started with the COVID-19 thing. It's obvious yeah. that a lot of businesses were affected by that.
7: Yeah, and inflation. Inflation was going up well before Putin invaded on February the 24th. It was started going up quite dramatically in about December. Right? It's been going going up ever since. Uh, I mean, if you print trillions of dollars for non-productive things, then you're going to get inflation because there's all this money swirling around. Right? You're not building factories or something with it that's going to produce cars or whatever and make a profit and produce economic benefits or whatever. It was all wasted. It was paying people to stay at home and for business to stay shut, wasn't it? It was a negative economic thing and they wasted trillions of dollars on it. And then you got all this all this all this money swishing around. And so the stock market went into a huge bubble, didn't it? And all the billionaires all, all increased their increased their wealth by billions of dollars. So all all this all this excess money went into the stock market, but now it's coming out of the stock market. The stock market's had its bubble. that now, now, now there's going to be a a long stock stock market crash? It's going to last, I don't know, how long but maybe eighteen months or something. Right, because because if we're going to get stagflation. We're going to get ten percent inflation and recession. Right, it's going to it's going to be terrible for the next eighteen months or more. Like we had in the 1970s with all the oil crisis, when, when there the Saudi Arabia embargo in 1973 or whenever that was, and then the Iran-Iraq war in 1982 caused an oil crisis and high inflation. So we're not, we haven't seen inflation levels like this since 1982 or mid 1970s, and it's going to be exactly the same. I know recession during those periods as well, was not it in, in the 1970s and whatever it's going to it's going to be terribly terrible ac- economically for the next foreseeable future and nobody's nobody's really saying that in the mainstream media there's been a couple of comments now in that? Ja- uh, jamie diamond from jp morgan said oh it's going to be horrific economically over the next whatever didn't he? he issued a warning and then goldman sachs says yeah we're, co- co- we're heading for a hard recession well <laughs> anybody with any common sense could see that coming three months ago
0: And with the economic disaster that is on the horizon, it still seems like England has the same thing we have in America, which is the woke foolishness. I saw a comedy special on Netflix. Ricky Gervais he's a Brit. uh, Ricky Gervais has a new Netflix comedy special. And he's talking, and he's in front of a British audience. And he talks about the same woke foolishness we have in america why is that that stuff a discussion when we're facing huge economic problems like you say
7: well it's like it's a tool it's all a tool to control and divide people isn't it right it doesn't i mean all this wokeism and whatever it doesn't affect goldman sachs profits does it right so I mean, if you're arguing about transgender rights, or 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 whether 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 biological males should be able to go in women's toilets, or or doing pride marches, or whatever, they're not they're not focusing on who's causing all the inflation and corruption, are they? And the loss of loss of civil rights, like vaccine mandates and lockdowns, and and facial ID, and Digital IDs that they all want to bring in, and cashless societies, and did central bank digital currencies, and transhumanism—putting chips in people—they uh, all say it's a conspiracy theory. But uh, but the CEO of um, Pfizer said, "Oh yeah, we've already developed a pill. It's got a little chip in it and can send a signal out when after you swallowed it." so <laughs> really weird, really conspiracy theory that they're try, going to try and chip everybody then is it
0: and, and I don't know if you heard in a few weeks David Icke is going to be on the show another Brett yeah. but David Icke is, it seems to me he's the English version in some senses of Alice Jones he's been doing this a
7: long time is David Icke well known in the UK oh he's pretty well known yeah I mean, he's been right all along about all the COVID stuff. He's been spot on about everything ever since it first started in January 2020 or whenever it was.
0: Now, and we, we had another jubilee for the Queen. I forget which one was this. What, which one? Platinum? It's platinum. Yeah, that's what I thought. Are people. There was a point back in the 70s when people were getting kind of tired of the royal family. Is the support for the royal family with what well, with Prince Andrew being involved with Jeff Epstein and so on, is there any sense that the British people are tiring of the royals?
7: Well, I don't think so. There might have been might be it might have been a drop off of support. I mean, if when the Queen dies and then Prince Charles takes over, then that there, there might well be a drop off then. But, I mean, there's still a lot of support from the for the royal family just because the mainstream media tells people to support them. I, the entire mainstream media tells people to support the, the royal family. So just like they said, told everybody to go and get their vaccine shots, even though they were done experimental, non-safety tested and quite possibly dangerous, they all went along and did it just because the mainstream media told them to. They didn't bother doing any research. I, the mainstream media just brainwashes everybody, or not ninety percent of people, seventy percent of people.
0: Now, are you are they starting to warn about a COVID uh, another wave? Are you starting to get those warnings in England?
7: No, we're not getting it the same as in America, because the the cases and deaths are ticking up in America, aren't they? But but they're not really increasing in the UK. They they I mean they're not they they they're still much higher than they were at last uh, at this time last year in the UK but they've they've stopped doing all the testing. There's no free testing anymore, so they're only testing hospital admittances and 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 NHS staff and people like that. so they're not they're, everybody's not getting tested. So the official number of cases is right down.
0: Now, I have noticed that the media in England, uh the Telegraph, for instance, even there was a good story in The Guardian recently. They're having to admit the truth about the Ukraine-Russia war. Are you seeing a change in the media about Ukraine-Russia?
7: Well, there's tentative signs, isn't there? There, there was an article in Washington Post, an article in New York Times, say, saying that Washington Post said the war not doing well and the Ukrainian army, all the conscripts, are all getting demoralized and getting bombarded constantly every day by Russian artillery. So I mean, it's like World War One in the trenches, isn't it? I mean, they were bombed every day and, you know, they get, they had, you know, we we call it post traumatic stress disorder now, PTSD, don't we? But they they you know, they call it shell shock in World War One. But if you get in, you have been been in trenches, you know, for for two months or so, and getting bombarded every day by artillery, it's bound to affect you, isn't it? Much more. Now, it
0: is. England's not England's not part of the EU. They're Brexited. When you look at what's going on with the EU now, in terms of the sanctions they're putting on, and the economic effects that the EU's going to have because of the steps that they've taken. The sanctions have clearly hurt the EU more than they hurt Russia. Yeah. Are, are you glad that England, do you think they're judgeable by leaving the EU?
7: No, because we've got the same problem as the EU. Right? Because... Um, the oil and gas prices in Europe have gone up. Gas prices have gone up. So the gas prices of gas, natural gas in the UK, has gone skyrocketing high, just like it's done in the rest of Europe. Right? We're in the same the same geographical market. So if you, whatever the price is at Rotterdam, which is the major natural gas importer and oil importer for Europe, It'd be a similar price in the UK because we're only a hundred miles away. Right, so if they're going to deliver deliver natural gas to Rotterdam, they could easily divert hundred miles to and send it to England instead. Right, and and you know whoever's selling the natural gas or the oil is just going to pick the place with the best price, isn't it? So if they get more in in Rotterdam, then they'll go to Rotterdam. So that means that the UK price will have to go up to attract the next ship, won't it? But it's. I mean, it's all market forces. They can't avoid it, and and the UK is not doing anything to mediate the situation. I mean, they they're not. they they they've just they've just put a windfall tax on all the energy companies and all the oil companies because of the the vast profits they're making now the oil price has doubled or tripled. Right, so they're now going to tax them. Well, that just that will just disincentivise the oil companies from expanding North Sea oil production, right, or or the gas fields. So so they're just making the situation worse.
0: Now, I've seen a sort of few stories here, even in the States, talking about the cost of living in London. London was the most expensive cities in the world to live in there right now. How is this saying that? Is it some people in the city of London, let's say, are making so much money that they can afford it? What's happening? How how's the makeup of London being affected? Can working people, normal people, afford to live in London anymore? Ian?
7: Well, I mean, it's it's been difficult for quite some time. But I mean, London's almost exactly the same as as New York. New York has got a lot of, a, a large financial industry where, uh, you know. Ten thousand people or hundred thousand people make a lot of money working for the big banks in Wall Street, don't they? Right. So all these people are making making a million dollars plus a year, right? All the all the all these bankers on Wall Street. like the City of London. All the all these bankers in the City of London are making a million pounds or whatever a year, right? So that that's the affluent part, right? And then there's there's all the all the impoverished people, all the, all the waiters in the bars and the restaurants where all the bankers go and have their drinks or lunches or whatever, right? So they they're all scraping by. Right? So it's I mean it's London is almost exactly the same as New York. Right? There's a small, very wealthy class who live in the centre of London or work in the centre of London. And there's there's a huge number of other impoverished people that are scraping by trying to get a living. I there's high crime mates in London just like there's high crime mates in New York, and a, a hell of a lot of poor people.
0: And when I was over there a couple of years ago, I remember the big thing was a lot of people were being stabbed. There were a yeah. lot of stabbings. That's still going still on. Still a in
7: lot of Yeah, it's still a lot of stabbings. Instead of shooting people, they stab them. Yeah. Yeah. It's all gangs. It's all gangs. It's all use. You know, it's teenagers between fourteen and eighteen who do most of it.
0: Now what, what are they drug dealing gangs or what, what kind of gangs?
7: Yeah, yeah, mostly drug dealing, yeah. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. Because it seemed like it was there were a lot of people talking about it in London. I was over there covering the Assange thing in Brexit. And they're talking about all shabbings. And uh, they were quite frightened by it. A lot of people. Yeah. And is there a sense? How, how about how about the rest of England, in the Midlands, for instance?
7: Well, it's not. It's not the same sort of thing. That well, at least it's not reported in the news in other cities. So I haven't heard anything from anywhere else. But I don't know. But I mean, it's all. It's all in the ghettos, right? It's all. It's all on the poor housing estates. Right, the projects you call them in America, you know, government built apartment blocks. Right, that's where that's where all the crime is, isn't it? That's it's same in America, the same in England. Right, it's all it's all in the in the, uh, in the in the ghetto areas where all the poor people, lots of unemployment, lots of lots of poor education. Lots of drugs going around. I think, I, I mean, you, you, if the kids are 14 or whatever, say, well, I'm never going to get a decent job. I might as well join the g- drugs game. Yeah, that's how they, that's what happens.
2: Now, what
0: do you predict for the future in England? If you had to predict, make a few predictions on where things are going, is it headed to or Orange, a dystopian future? Yeah. But, where but, do you look, think it's going?
7: Definitely, I mean, they they're bringing bringing in um, a bill that the government can censor anything that they don't like on um, on social media. The online safety bill, or online harms online safety bill, or something they're calling it. They say it's to protect the children, but it's to protect the government from dissent. <laughs> so that's 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 the Ministry of Truth Orwellian censorship. That's one. They still want to do all this surveillance and, and they want to, the uh, Chancellor is, wants to bring in central bank digital currencies and get rid of all cash so that then all transactions will be known to the government. So everything you spend your money on, the government will know. That's the purpose of it. And if they don't like you, right, central bank digital currencies are the end of democracy completely, right? Because if the government don't want you spending on something, then they will stop you. right? So we've all, already got loads of censorship of alternative media sites who are reporting the truth about COVID, whatever. PayPal are dropping them. They can't get, get transactions from credit cards and whatever else. So all these alternative media sites are having trouble getting funded because they're blocking the way to pay. Right? If it's central bank digital currency and that's it, <laughs> they'll just stop all the funding to those sorts of sorts of media sites and political parties if they don't like a political party. Right, like Germany doesn't like you know Merkel's gang. does not like the AFD in Germany, do they? So they'll stop all political donations to that sort of party. See, so you won't you won't, you, won't, you won't have any democracy because you'll only have parties that agree with with the with the neoliberals and the globalists. Right, and anybody who doesn't agree with it. Well, then I have all their funding, Carl.
0: Well, finally, in in the U.S., we have a debate about single-payer health care, socialized medicine. And without getting into that debate, how do you think the fact that you have single-payer health care, national health, how did that affect COVID? Did that make it better or worse?
7: Well, it probably made it worse because in America, at least – some of the states rebelled against it. Florida, didn't they? They rebelled against it somewhat. Whereas the NHS just about obeyed all the COVID dictates that said you're not allowed to use hydroxychloroquine, you're not allowed to use ivermectin, we'll give everybody remdesivir, which doesn't doesn't work, and causes kidney and liver failure. Right. So uh, the National Health Service has been committing medical malpractice for the last two-plus years, just like all the American hospitals have been. Anybody who doesn't use ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, vitamin D, and zinc is committing med- medical malpractice. But they, 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 they don't do any of that, and they try and give them remdesivir and put them on ventilators, so they kill them. It's absolutely disgusting.
0: I think a lot of people in this country uh, on, on the liberal side seem to think that having single-payer health care would have been America's salvation with COVID, and you're
7: saying not so. No, because because it's once you get single payer healthcare, it's all under one institution. The drug companies control which drugs that that single payer healthcare system uses, right? Because they, they I mean, the big pharma drugs company already controls American medicine, and it controls the NHS which drugs it does and doesn't use. It completely controls. Excellent, great conversation.
0: We're out of time. Mark Zoboda, thanks so much for joining us from Moscow. Thanks to all our callers, including William, first-time caller. Call back at any time. This has been The Backstory.